This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and today in the next episode of our World Religions series, we have Swami Purnananda, who is the spiritual director of the Era Vedanta Society, which is also known as the Ramakrishna Vedanta Centre. Uh, did I get that right? That's correct. Yes, I'm, yes. It's very, very lovely to have you in studio here with nice me. Nice to I'm be here. Thank you. excited to be educated in something that I currently know absolutely nothing about, but hopefully at the end of this episode, I will, I'll know a lot more. Um, so do you want to explain what the, why the two names for the, for the Vedanta Centre and the Era Vedanta Society? Well, uh, not many people know what Vedanta is. Everybody knows what Air is, Ireland. Mm-hmm. So we are registered society, Air Vedanta Society. That's the way we're popularly called. But we are also a branch of the worldwide Ram Krishna Mutt, um, which is uh, based in Kolkata in India. And um, it's a movement that was started by Swami Vivekananda, who first brought oriental philosophical ideas to the West. And is it a form of Hinduism or is that? It is the philosophy of Hinduism, yes. Okay. Mm. And is so Hinduism is a philosophy rather than a religion? Hindu is a religion based on a philosophy. Okay. Yes, yes. Without the philosophy, you don't really have the religion. Okay. So it is seen that for any religion, to work, there seems to be a need for a rational basis, which is your philosophy. Mm-hmm. And then there's also, of course, religions have theology, ritual, mythology, and so on, all of these things. But for us, the central thing is summarized by Swami Vivekananda, who said that each soul is potentially divine, and the goal is to manifest that from within, controlling nature internal and external, And he sets out a method for doing that, which is part of Hinduism, but it's also part of a worldwide approach. So that is um, through philosophy or meditation or selfless service work or, um, or devotion to God, love of God, one or more or all of these, he says, and be free. But then he says something interesting. He says, Churches, temples, mosques, books, rituals, dogmas, doctrines are but secondary details. Okay, so mm. the, the so the primary detail. The primary thing is that every within every person, there is a potential for divinity. Yes, there is a divinity already there. In other words, just to contrast it with another point of view, we're a body with a soul. We say no. We are a spirit with a body. Okay. So yeah. you have a spirit and this is the body which you are currently occupying. Yes. So the spirit spirit is uh, is immutable. So it doesn't change. It's never born. It doesn't die. It's eternal. And therefore, Hinduism's final conclusion is there's only one spirit. There's no separate spirit in you and me. But, okay. Yes. But our association with our mental history, our psychological history, our body, and so on and so forth, provides us with a kind of illusion that we are all separate. Mm-hmm. And to get out of that state of separateness is really our goal. So our goal is freedom. Our goal isn't heaven or anything like that. Our goal is freedom. So when you came in here today and I said, how are you? And you said, 
I'm good if you're good. Yes. That wasn't just you being polite. That's actually part of the philosophy. Well, it's my personal greeting. greeting. Uh, So I come from Zimbabwe and Zimbabwe uh, saying good morning is uh, quite um, complicated. It goes like this. Good morning. Good morning. Did you sleep well? Yes, I slept well. Have you slept well? And then there's a whole conversation going on like that. So um, I think that's a good way of uh, greeting somebody to say, I'm well if you're well. You see, because we're, there's a unity here, if you're not well, I'm also not well. You know, if you're well, I'm well. It's funny because a lot of, um, like a lot of modern movements are promoting the fact that you shouldn't let other people's emotional state impact you. So like if you are well, mm. if you are unwell, or you're in a bad mood, that is your business. It's got nothing to do with me. That's your issue. I'm just going to stand back. Mm. But that is totally contrary to what well, you believe. Well, it's contrary to what every religion believes because every religion would want to be compassionate. Mm-hmm. And everybody, every religion, I mean, Jesus says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. We're giving the rationale behind it and saying, because your neighbor is yourself. Okay, so take me back um, to... We've been doing this podcast series um, of world religions. We generally start with um, the the sort of beginnings where the religion began or where the spiritual path began, what those beliefs are, and then moving it into sort of modern times and how it manifests now and what the practices are. So can you take us back to the start? Well, Hinduism is the most ancient religion of all the world religions, along with Zoroastrianism and Judaism. Okay. Um. So the basis of Hinduism is the Vedas. And we don't know how how far that goes back as a literature, but we believe it's timeless. Because Veda comes from the Sanskrit root vid, to know. Mm -hmm. We're using it when we say the word video. Because all Indo-European languages have their basic uh, mother language as Sanskrit. Which led to like maybe Latin and Greek and yes, yes, these are all Indo-European languages with the same common basis. So the Vedas are really discoveries from ancient people. We call these the rishis or seers. Were they Uh, spoken, passed down, or were they like written? Yes, no, they were passed down orally in such a way that there can be no mistake. So they passed uh, passed down in meters, you know, not meters you measure, like a poem, like yes, exactly, okay, exactly. So um, so these are passed down with very stylized uh, systems of, uh, of measured meter. Uh, so they're really passed down in the form of poetry and prose. Mm-hmm. And these go back from, um, some say, about 10,000 years. Wow. Um, and, uh, Where geographically did they originate? Well, this is, this is in the northwest part of India, was, is seen to be the origin um, of it. Um, uh, so, uh, but of course, I think it was throughout the whole of the subcontinent of India. Hinduism is a misnomer. So the reason why I'm saying Vedas is because Hinduism is not really a religion in the sense of an organized, structured thing. Right. Okay. It's a league of beliefs with countless numbers of sects. Yes, okay. So there isn't one, like, sorry, Jesus figure as no, we have in the absolutely past. absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely not. But the glue that holds everything together is the Vedas. Great. Okay, I understand. So this belief in the Vedas is the, is the crux of it, is the whole cement that glues the whole thing together. 
The word Hindu really is a comparatively recent term. It was a geographic term that was used primarily from 1838 onwards by the British who wanted to take a census. Okay. The word Hindu comes from the river Sindh or the Sindh province in northwestern India. And uh, that Sindh province, um, when the Persians came into that region, they couldn't pronounce they had to say Hindu. Okay. So everybody south of that geographically is a Hindu. And when the Greeks came along, they dropped even that and said Indus. And so everything below that is India. Oh, wow. Okay, yes, so that's yes. where it comes from. But geographically, the whole range would have been as far as Iran. Iran is a corruption of the Sanskrit Aryan. Arya means a noble person. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the British Raj time, they mischaracterized it as a foreign people invading India. So the Aryan invasion theory is there, which is hotly contested. But uh, so Hindus themselves are happy to adopt the term, but the, it, it can be confusing because, as I say, it's a geographic term. And I suppose the more accurate way of calling it is Vedanta, which is, means the end or the finality or the final conclusions of the Vedas or Vedika religion. Uh, Hindus themselves would refer to it as Sanatana Dharma. That means uh, the eternal law or religion. The word Dharma comes from a root, which means to hold everything, to bind everything together in harmony. Dharma. So, yeah, so it infers morality, it infers uh, religious law, it infers cosmic law, everything. Everything that holds everything together is that. And the opposite of that is a dharma, that is the thing that creates a little chaos and disorder. Okay. Yeah. So um, we start off really with this fundamental Vedas. Uh, of course, there are many different interpretations of the Vedas. And these Vedas fall into two categories. One category really is to do with this world and the next world. Mm -hmm. But the other category is to do with this freedom I'm mentioning. Right, okay. And that really is the basis. So when we call, when we say we believe in the authority of the Vedas, we're really talking about that final section, the philosophical section. We call this Upanishad. That means sitting near in order to get this message of freedom. The image is sitting near a teacher. Right, okay. To get this message, yeah. And so is there a person who who has achieved this freedom that you all as as people in, in the faith aspire to? Or is it just this text that is the is the is the goal? Well, you, the text without the practical implication has no meaning. Yes. And so practically applying it, this is our goal to be free and perfect. And we have to be careful of the language because here comes philosophy here. Yeah. Because we're already free and we're already perfect. It's just to uncover that and realize that. So we use the terms in English, we say realization, Awakening. These, yes, yeah. these kinds of terms, exactly, yes, yeah. Okay, so then how practically does it, like, what are the, how does it look operationally? Okay, okay. The process is called yoga. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. Yes. 
Now I understand. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yoga, contrary to maybe a Western uh, yeah. point of view, is not standing your head or standing on somebody else's head or anything like that. So yoga literally means union. Okay. It comes from a root yaj, to unite, to be united. Concentration is also given as a definition because concentration is uniting the attention with the object of your attention. Mm -hmm. So the goal is a mystic union and uh, that we can borrow that phrase really from Christian Eastern Orthodoxy where it's emphasized this mystic union has to take place. Um, and the process is one of uniting and there are four ways of doing it. Okay. These four ways are there because there are four aspects to the mind and we're only using the mind. Every religion really is a psychological process. Okay, in what sense? In the, in the sense that this world that we're faced with is something like a mistake. It's a limited view of a totality okay. because the sense organs are there and they're restricting our view and they're presenting us with a covering that enables us to operate. When we start removing this covering, this is the, called the yoga. And so we have an emotional side to the psyche, a feeling. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, directing that feeling toward love of God is a way, it's probably the most popular and easiest way. But then there is what is called jnana yoga, that is the process of discerning what is permanent, what is impermanent what is real, what is unreal. And uh, so that requires uh, a keen intellect and a dedicated life. So not suitable for most people. So constantly um, disrupting what, like what the world wants you to believe is, 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 is real or is permanent yes, or is important. The, the table at which we're sitting is seen to be real but actually it's only a relative reality. It's there relative to our sight and our touch and our, if we want to lick it, our taste and what have you, all these sense organs. Therefore, if I was standing in a different part of the room and I was blind, the table wouldn't exist. The table wouldn't exist visually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's the old story about finding out what an elephant is with blind people. You yes. See. We have this in common in our, Buddhism is our rebel child, by the way. Buddh see, we incorporate Buddhism, Jainism, all of that is under our umbrella. It's just that they are heterodoxical in the sense that they don't believe in the authority of the Vedas. No, they believe, we've done a podcast on Buddhism, yeah. so they believe in um, Buddha, who was, uh, who was a man, who was a real man, and mm. he saw a sick person, a blind person, exactly. and a dead person, yeah. and just thought, what is life about? And he went on this journey. Yeah. Yeah, but from his point of view, there was only one, uh, one thing going on, you know, because truth is only one. Uh, but Can he, I just ask, yeah. so if the Buddha, so the Buddha was an actual man, yes. and before he discovered Buddhism, are you saying that he was, like the rest of the people contemporaneously at that time were living with, with the faith that you're describing, and then yeah. he changed it? Well, 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 yes, but of course there were many different sects. Okay. And every reformer, Buddha was a reformer. Every reformer that comes, uh, comes and takes all the misunderstandings and what we call adharma, the, this disruption the of chaos. harmony, and, and makes a reform movement, a renaissance, and Buddha was a great reformer. 
And we are thankful to Buddha for that reformation. There have been many reformations because it's an ancient system. Okay. There are many, many, uh, but it's the same river flowing, you know. And the point is that when you find out the truth, regardless of what religion you are, it's the same truth. And one of the precepts within Hinduism is all religions are true. Okay. Yes. Well, that's good because I think a lot of other religions are pretty um, declining of other Exactly, options. exactly. So we are also members of the Dublin City Interfaith Forum, and I represent Hinduism uh, on that forum. But um, I do recognize that there are different religions who have an exclusivist understanding and so on. And I come back to what Swami Vivekananda was saying, you see, that temples, churches, doctrines, dogmas, rituals are secondary details. When you start making them primary, then you start going against your basic loving philosophy. Mm -hmm. You know, the only reason I love my God is by hating others is not a tenable or peaceful solution. Mm -hmm. So it's the same truth that we're looking for. And the the revealed truth is the same for you and me and every person. That's the point. So uh, and then uh, so these four paths are there. So there's the path of devotion. There's the path of philosophy. There's a uh, the path of meditation, and there's the path which most people follow, which is called karma yoga. That is, your working waking life shouldn't disturb your mind. The equilibrium of your mind. The difficulty is the mind is in a state of disturbance. And so all these are set to make an equilibrium. And they're corresponding to the willing aspect of the mind, the doing aspect of the mind, the thinking aspect of the mind, the feeling aspect of the mind, and the harmonizing aspect, the capacity to meditate and balance the whole thing. So he says one or more of all of these things, this is Swami Vivekananda again speaking, and be free, but in practice, we are recommending harmonizing all of them. One may dominate, a more emotional person might choose one and so on. Okay. Because we're not exclusively feeling people, exclusively thinking people. So how does that, how, how, how do you practice that then? Okay, we're sitting here now. Mm -hmm. So if you feel that, supposing you have a love of God, uh, however you feel that God is, then this can be a service. Our podcast here can be a loving service to that. The mm -hmm. capacity for us to speak comes from it. The capacity to think comes from it. Um, so comes from it, from the, God, from the loving God from, as we understand From it. a supreme principle. Yes, okay. Okay. I'm avoiding the term God, mm -hmm. all right, because God has means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. So the, our final conclusion is the supreme principle. But when it comes to love of God, we have a peculiar concept. That concept is called chosen ideal. Technically, we call it ishtadevata. Something that has no moving parts in space, no evolution in time, how can we conceive of such a thing? So to bring it within our range, we do two things. We adopt a position which forms a relationship. I'll give you an example. Um, supposing we feel that God to us is something like a motherly presence mm -hmm. or a fatherly presence. This is the last day today of a great festival. It's a very auspicious day today. Oh, wow. Yes, yes, called Vijay Dashmi. 
And there's been a whole nine-day process ahead of this, which is dedicated in some parts of India anyway, and particularly in Bengal, is dedicated to God as a mother. And in these modern times, we feel that this aspect is the most relevant to these times because there's no higher love than a mother's love, humanly speaking. Yeah. And so psychologically, if your father was jealous and punishing, it might not be a good idea to think of God as a father. Yes, okay. <laughs> but you have the opportunity also of thinking of God as a friend, as a lover, even God as a child, mm -hmm. as a companion. So two aspects of this. One is where do you want to put yourself as a child or a friend or companion, whatever it is. And the other thing is, what form of this um, unidentifiable object, not object, you see, is the language is very yes, difficult, okay. you see. The supreme principle beyond our comprehension, what form would you love the most in order to develop a love for this? And so for this reason, Hinduism will embrace millions and millions of forms. And the, the great difficulty many people have with Hinduism is to say straight away, and it's there in the curriculum of our schools as well, at the secondary school level, it's a mistake that needs to be corrected, that Hinduism is a polytheistic religion. It is not. Okay, so it you believe in one supreme principle. One supreme principle. And it takes many forms. Many forms, because there are seven billion people approximately on the planet. There and should they can be seven billion forms or seven billion religions should be there. Can I ask you something that I find challenging about that and I have thought about it um, because I've had discussions with people about a higher power and you know sort of uh, spending time pondering what that higher power should be so that I can connect to it but if um, if this supreme principle is going to take the form that I decide does that not give me some power or supreme power that, that I should not have because if it is the highest power then me conceiving of it gives me too much control over that. Yes. Uh, when we say supreme principle we mean that there is um, an order of things and your final conclusion will be that. It's like uh, climbing a mountain Okay. and your goal is the top and you know where the goal is but you journey anyway up the mountain all right, and leave that where it is. And in your process, hopefully you'll enjoy the flora and fauna on the way. Yes. All right, this is life. Life should be enjoyed in this way. But we have to emphasize when we say supreme principle, we're not talking of anything outside. Okay. But we, I suppose it's hard. Yeah, so I do conceive not, of... We're not talking of an extra cosmic creator God. So what are we conceiving of? Just Well, you see... The Vedanta is a very scientific religion. Okay. So we follow science. In science, nothing comes from outside. Nothing can be created or destroyed. Yes. It's all been e there since the start. Uh, exactly. So everything comes from inside, all right? Otherwise, in the ancient days, you might have thought an apple falls to the ground, a ghost threw it from a tree. <laughs> okay. All right? But we happen to know there's an internal principle called the law of gravity. Yes. So Isaac Newton purportedly saw an apple falling on the ground and thought about it and applied this formula to the whole universe. 
that there is a principle of gravity. In that same way, there is only one truth, one absolute truth. We can call it supreme principle, if you like, or there are many different names for it. Technically, we call this principle Brahman. And why that's significant is because the Sanskrit word comes from a root bra, uh, which implies to infinitely expand. Yes. Yeah, okay. And everything comes from it. So we have three options in understanding what the universe is about. We can say that something, namely a god, extra cosmic god, created something from nothing we wouldn't hold on to that position at all. Okay. Ex nihilo doesn't make sense to us, all right? Because then the question comes, where was the second hand shop God went to to make this universe yes. and who made that? And you go on infinite, infinite regress. Then the other is a kind of, unfortunately, a standard cosmological model that science has, which says that nothing made everything from nothing and we won't hold that position either. Even a five-year-old child won't hold that mm -hmm. position. But what we're saying is something made everything out of itself. Right, okay. So there is no separation at the end of the day between the manifest version of the Supreme Principle and the absolute um, understanding of it. And so once you... One, and so obviously that's like quite... Um, it's it's quite something to hold that in your brain and and you know sometimes I can kind of grasp at it and be like yes I understand something create no something or no <laughs> it's a tricky one it's a tricky one like something created everything from itself yes it's like a spider weaves a web from itself true and then it's you don't require a Mrs. Spider for it no yeah but it, it so it's not a chicken and an egg situation. No, no, no it's no. like chicken no. and eggs exist yeah, together. Yeah. But for <laughs> for that reason also, we believe that the universe is eternal. We don't think it has a beginning. It doesn't have an end. It goes as everything goes in a series of cyclical causal relations. So cause and effect goes on forever. Taking a break from the episode to bring you an ad because this podcast is only possible because of our sponsor. Supporting our sponsor supports the podcast. And let me tell you about who they are. Rockwell's financial planning service is designed for anyone who feels as if they kind of need to just put a shape on their finances. I don't know if you're like me, you kind of feel like, oh, my finances are all over the place. I need to kind of start adulting. This is the service for you. Whether you're like a senior executive in a multinational company or a small business owner or just a young couple looking to get a head start in your financial planning, a single person who wants to make plans for their future. So they consider themselves financial doers rather than financial planners, which I really like because it's active. It's not just like um, namby-pamby sort of making a plan. doesn't matter where you are in the country. They're happy to help you in person or over Zoom. Pensions and investments are really important, but they're absolutely useless without knowing why you're using them and what you're using them for. They are in the outcomes business. They are in the business of results. So it's not just about the plan, it's about the action. So they use this like award-winning investment advice to help their clients achieve their goals. And they have a special offer for you listening right now, for Basically listeners. If you go to rockwellfinancial.ie forward slash basically, you can book a complimentary financial planning session today. 
you'll get a cash flow model which outlines any gaps in your finances and they'll give you the first steps to achieving your specific goals. I highly recommend Rockwell and I think as a basically listener you should definitely check it out. It's free, it's going to put you on the right path to getting your finances in order. That's it. Go to rockwellfinancial.ie forward slash basically. While I have you here and I have your captive attention, I want to let you know that if you are a basically supporter, if you are a Headstuff Plus member, I have an opportunity for you. So from now on, I want to change how my show was introduced. Usually I say, hello and welcome to Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and today in studio I have, you know that bit, you've heard it all. From now on, I want a different podcast supporter to introduce my show because I really am grateful to the people who support the podcast. They mean that, you know, their five euro a month means that I can have a producer working full time on the show and it's just, I really, really am grateful. So I'm going to give you an address and I want you to send a voice note that says, hi, my name is Mary and I'm a Headstuff supporter and the reason I like what listening to the show is because blah 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 you are listening to basically and then I'll come in. So what I want you to do is send your voice note to www.speakpipe.com forward slash basically. That's speak s-p-e-a-k pipe p-i-p-e dot com forward slash basically and when you go to that site what comes up basically is this uh, this big button that says start recording and you just record directly into that and then it gets sent to us and then you will be introducing the show. Thank you so much for your support. Just jumping in to tell you about another new podcast on the network that I think you're going to love. It's called They're Only Stories. Uh, it's a podcast that celebrates storytelling and the people behind the stories. So in the first season, they're celebrating all things horror. I'm absolutely obsessed with horror. So if you're into it and it's the season for it, have a listen. Each week they have a new spooky audio drama followed by an interview with the writer who wrote the drama. Just sit back, relax, listen. It's a great one to pick up. They're Only Stories. A new anthology drama podcast that celebrates stories and the writers behind those stories. I go like the hounds of hell are after me. Good to know. Premiering on the 17th of October on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Their Only Stories is produced by Riots Productions in association with the Headstuff Podcast Network and funded by the Arts Council of Ireland. Yes, you should be pointing. Do you think that humans this is sort of off topic but like when you think of things like climate change or things that do threaten the eternal the eternity the eternalness of the world do you think that that do you believe that like humans can have a negative impact on things and disrupt that eternity oh, oh absolutely okay. because part of the causal relationship is our wrong thinking okay you know if you think of your favorite lunch today you yeah. know then saliva will flow in your in your mouth and gastric juice will flow in your stomach. It'll happen instantaneously. Yeah. So there's an impact to our thinking. And really, every process toward this goal of freedom requires right thinking. This is a Buddhist precept also, you see. Mm-hmm. It, the Eightfold Path, right thinking, right behavior, right meditation, uh, right occupation, all of these. Mm-hmm. All of these things are common to not just us, but every religion, I would think, you see. Mm-hmm. So that this, the, these moral precepts are common to every religion because the only thing we have to do in terms of a practical process, 
is cleaning the mind. So you do this through things like meditation, yoga, conscious contact with Yes, this. but all of it is to change the thinking. Okay. So all of it is changing your thinking. And although the supreme principle is beyond our range of, uh, of thought or concept, we have to begin somewhere, like climbing a mountain. Mm -hmm. We leave the goal where it is. We don't bother about it. We just say there is one. And then we pay attention to the process. Okay. Okay. So one step uh, at a time. Yes, one step at a time. And in the beginning, we may need a form of God. In the end, it, we, we will disband it. Um, so to get practical about it, were you, were you born and raised in this faith? Well, you see, again, it's not exactly a faith because we are all Hindus, whether you know it or not. We're all Vedantins. Okay. So, um, uh, but I know what you're asking. No, I was brought up as a Roman Catholic. Okay. And I spent my life uh, 15 years of that in that, in that uh, way of thinking. And uh, our goal as a Vedanta society is not to convert or change anybody, any religion. So we're in a country which is predominantly 78% according to the last census of Roman Catholics. And our goal is to make Catholics better Catholics. Our goal is to make Hindus better Hindus, Muslims better Muslims, Jews better Jews, scientific humanists better humanists, etc. So if people um, are um, unfulfilled in in their current, you know, in their in in the religion that they currently find themselves in, and they come to you, do you do they? I'm I'm going to use the word that I understand, but convert, or do you like? they stay in their own religion and practice Yes, there's the no conversion because all religions are true. Okay. But so how, so you're sitting here in front of me and yeah. you're wearing um, all orange. Mm. I'm sure there's a name for it. I don't. Well, it's just our monastic habit. Okay. Yeah. So if, if. I, I'm a monk. You're a monk. That's what a Swami means. Okay. Yes, yes. So yes. that's different to just um, civilians who are practice who live oh, by yes, the faith. Oh yes, yes, yes. No, this is our monastic dress. I have bad habits as well, but we leave those aside. <laughs> okay. So that that gets that's a that's a good question. So um in so you're a monk. So in other religions and sorry to compare them, but it's my only touch point. Mm. You know, so let's say like I'm Roman Catholic or mm. whatever that we have we have priests and bishops mm. and archbishops. Mm. Are the leaders of are, are you a monk which would be like a leader of the people who follow? Well, in Buddhism and Hinduism, it's the same that the if there's any hierarchy at all, the monks and nuns would be at the top. Okay. Um, it's not to say that they're better or superior. It's just that they have decided to renounce. That means they have taken an extra dedicated um, effort, principally in our case, to serve humanity. Okay. Uh, and after that will come uh, Brahmins, priests, and um, pundits, and what have you, and all of that will come. So that is why we are we are given a prime a primary place, if you will. Um, Do you live all together with other monks? Well, in our particular center, we have one other monk, so we're only a monastery of two actually at the moment, and he's returning to India shortly. Um, so we have a replacement coming from India um, next Tuesday. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's amazing. And yeah. how, so what does your daily practice look like? Uh, well, 
my daily practice, I raise at three, uh, 3.30 in the morning, and uh, then ablutions and what have you. And I normally I'm sitting for meditation from half past four to about half past six. And then from half past six, I do some yoga exercise. Um, and then it's breakfast. And then I start my work. And the work is, you know, depending on what work is there, you know. So Could that be like helping people in the community or... Helping people in the community, even just dull uh, clerical administrative work. Yes. Um, and, and then there's a pause uh, mid-morning. There's a pause uh, um, in the midday from 12 to 12.30. 12.30 is lunch. And then... Is 12 to 12.30 a pause, like more meditation or prayer? Yes, or? yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and yeah, is meditation yeah. and prayer... Does prayer happen in meditation or they're uh, separate? Well, w- w- let's call it devotion, which normally comprises prayer, what we call japa or recitation of a mantra, and meditation. These are the three basic spiritual practices, yeah. And then um, by the evening, of course, we have uh, a, what you might call Vespers service with meditation and so on and so forth. Is that every day? Every day, yes, mm-hmm. yes. And eight o'clock in the evening is, um, is uh, supper. And then uh, somewhere in the day, we require study. We need to study. So, sorry, do you not eat from 12.30 to 8? Oh, no, sorry, 12.30 is lunchtime. Okay. Oh, I missed a very important thing. Lunch, we love our lunch, so. Yeah. <laughs> 12.30 is the main meal, yes. And then not again until 8 o'clock? Eight o'clock. Correct, yes, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. There might be a snack time or something for some. I, I personally don't take it, but there might be a snack time at about 4.30 or something mm-hmm. in the afternoon. Um, so the, put it this way. We we work as other as any regular person works, all okay. right. Um, but all centered around um, our society, and involved in that, maybe people will come for counselling. Um, every guest who comes is treated uh, treated like um, God because that's our view of them. And uh, so, uh, but there are other things banking, finances, yeah. accounting, you know, all the normal things that any society would have to run on. And then there's cleaning and, you know, so, you know. And what time do you go to bed if you get up at three? Oh, it could be 11 o'clock, maybe half past 11, something like that, you know. And you don't feel tired? No, when you meditate, you don't feel tired. Okay. Yeah. I've tried it. I've really tried. <laughs> but I can't silence my mind. Well, that's a misunderstanding about meditation. Okay. Meditation, for us anyway, is not silencing the mind. It's becoming aware of the thought. Yes, the mind is not made to be silent. It's like having a car and you say, let me keep the engine quiet, you know, mm-hmm. and not, not use it. No, the mind is active and is supposed to be used. So meditation is a process really of directing your attention in an inspiring way, in an elevating way. It's like taking a, an airplane flight. You prepare a runway and then you take your flight above the clouds. And the object really is to have one single thought in the mind is called meditation. Yeah. At a time or for the whole no, meditation? No, no, like a flow, like a flow. So you start off with a theme. You have an aircraft already, a body and mind. Mm-hmm. So you, your process is, supposing you're meditating for an hour, mm-hmm. then probably three quarters of that will be preparation. 
even though we call it meditation, it's classically, it's, it's, theoretically it's not meditation, but it's a lead up toward that in such a way. You're, what you're looking for is that the subject and object become merged. When I say subject and object, in our common day experience, two things are happening. As we're talking now, mm-hmm. you're listening to me, an object, all right? But there is a listener on the other side, deeper than what you're listening to internally, because as I'm talking, you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a something that is able to watch all your thoughts. Yes, that okay. consciousness, that is the subject. When subject and object, there's no difference between them at all, then this is a kind of union that takes place. This final union we call samadhi, equivalent really in Buddhism to nirvana. Okay. Okay. So all systems are leading toward that. Now it's not just uh, us and don't think that this is um, exclusive to us because in Christianity there's the same thing. It's just they call it contemplation. Okay, yeah. All right? So what I'm saying is that there's not very much divergence in all practices. There are just different starting points, different traditions. And coming back to your original question, we wouldn't want to disturb that. We wouldn't want to, if you're a Roman Catholic, we wouldn't want you to change from that. We'd want you to deepen that. Okay. When you deepen that, you come to the same point of realization that everybody comes to. And then, you know the way, um, so I'll compare them. So say if a child is is born, mm. um, we have like baptism, First Holy Communion, mm. confirmation, sacraments, you know, yes. milestones throughout the life. Mm. Do you, are there Hinduism similar? has about 16 of those. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So and what do they correlate with, age or well, uh, awareness? Well, well um, uh, the creation of a child, the birth of a child, the first f- solid food that is taken, uh, the first books that are given for education. Um, so in other words, the milestones are created to steer a young life, really, okay. through, from birth to the grave, really, and to steer it in a way that will be elevating, uplifting, enlightening, if you will. And you know the way, so I'm, I'm say if I, I'm raised in Roman Catholic, but I don't really go to mass. I do have like an ongoing practice of just sort of becoming aware and, and connecting. But say lapsed Catholics, people who don't go to mass, but they'll do the marriage thing and they'll do. Um, are there people like are there Hindus to use the word that are just sort of like casual? Absolutely. Humans are humans. Humans are yeah, humans. Yeah, yeah. But they'll still do those co- sort of sacraments. Yes, because tradition lies deep. And don't forget, in India, the traditions will vary uh, from different state to different state. You know, there are about 20 different languages in India. And all of them have different ways of cooking and different ceremonies and so on and so forth. So I mentioned this Durga Puja, which has been on the last 10 yeah, days. Yeah, tell us about the holidays or the well, celebrations. Well, it, well it's, it's, you see, in other parts of India, that emphasis will not be there, you see, but okay. there'll be different versions of it throughout India. And why is it this week? Is it to do with the calendar or? N- yes, it's an autumn festival. Most religious festivals are to do with agriculture. Okay, really? Cool. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Whether it's Christianity or elsewhere, you know. Yeah. So um, so it's an, an autumn festival. You can imagine in India, 
and even here really um, in a different way there's a certain beauty to autumn you know the leaves start changing color start going brown and red and so on and in in a tropical country like india um, where the heat is stifling a relief you know as there from a cooler weather you know coming in and there's a certain change in uh, in the whole uh, seasonal dynamics and so on so it's seen to be a beautiful period of time and to retain worship of god as a mother is seen to be extremely important because this dynamic dimension of this oneness that we call the universe mm -hmm. or life is seen to be feminine we that's why we say mother nature we don't yes, say father nature we say mother earth you don't say father earth you know yes so this this dynamic aspect um this what we call energy basically uh, so what we're saying is there's an entity whose energy manifests as this world Okay. And this energy is deemed to be feminine. And this festival celebrates that? Celebrates that. What does yes. the festival look like or the celebration? Of well, there are, there are different, uh, there are different uh, ritualistic um, um, things, uh, events taking place on each one of these days. Uh, today, for example, they have, uh, at the beginning of the season, they would form clay images of what is called Durga. Durga means a fortress. So in other words, it's this divine mother that is protecting us okay. against uh, evil forces. But the evil forces are in us. <laughs> okay. So it's not something external to us, all right, even though that's how it's portrayed. And so there's a very important text called the Chandi, and uh, this uh, also called the Devi Mahatmyam, which is a mythological version of, which is a, 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 a common mythological theme of good versus evil. Mm -hmm. And of course, good wins. And so, my understanding of Hinduism was pretty limited and, you know, based on the sort of populous, po like popular things like Ganesh and these gods. But is that sort of, as you were saying, in the Leaving Cert textbooks, misrepresentation, or are those gods that oh, absolutely. are important? Absolutely. You see, these forms come out of the depths of meditation. In the depths of meditation, you want to find out, okay, what is the most useful thing to me? It's something that removes obstacles. Mm -hmm. So the whole of religious practice is a process of removing obstacles, mm -hmm. ultimately removing our ignorance about things. And so in the ancient days, there were no tractors or earth-moving equipment. Okay. There were elephants. Okay, so an <laughs> elephant that could do more than what one elephant yeah. could do. So in other words, you can look at the form and and find out what is the inner meaning of all these absent, uh, um, okay. aspects. There's a Ganesha park in um, uh, near Glendalough anyway. Oh, I, I don't know if you've... I haven't, no, no. ...worthwhile seeing. I have to mention one thing. Yes. One of the reasons why we're here and active is because of um, a woman who was is tremendously honored in India in the 19th century. She was born in 1867, died in 1911. And she started women's education in Bengal 
there's a bridge named after her, there's a road named after her, the schools are there, which is her inheritance. And it w she was responsible, really, for the freedom movement, not uh, directly, but by encouraging and by um, speaking and writing and so on and so forth in India, so that the poet Rabindranath Tagore called her the mother of India, or the, the Lokomata, and, um, her name was Nivedita, which means dedicated one. So I'm going to give you the punchline now. She was Irish. How was she Irish? Because she was born Margaret Elizabeth Noble, and she was inspired to take this life up. Oh, wow. And so this is one of our objectives here in this country, is to reveal the inheritance, which is the Irish inheritance about this lady, because she is the uh, she is uh, extremely significant and important in India, but very little known about her in this country. So she was born Irish, You're then born, yes, decided yes. to take up this life, move to India. Yes, yes, and oh, wow. dedicate her whole life, every drop of blood to India and India's freedom. That's fascinating. I had no idea. I don't think yeah. a lot of people over here know yeah, that. Yeah. So she is part of our. She was part of our monastic order. Okay. Um, I'm. <laughs> unfortunately running out of time but um, what are other things that we should know before I mean there's so much there's so much um, I'm trying to tick the boxes that we have ticked with other and, and, and I actually have had questions so that we will do follow on episodes with other religions and I'm pretty sure that this will happen with you yes, as well yes, to have yes. you back I can give you a summary in five five points do it we believe in the authority of the Vedas we believe that there's one supreme principle and that principle in you is either connected or one with that. We believe in the e eternality of nature itself, and it runs on causation. But, okay. What? It runs on a causal law, so that sowing and reaping. Okay, either cause and effect. Indi yes, individually and universally also. Okay. We believe that there is only one way to understand this, and that's your own direct perception. Okay. And there are four ways of doing this. The most popular way and easiest way would be love of God. Mm -hmm. The principle in that significant is a chosen ideal, which means the next principle is all religions are true. That's really powerful and actually much more simple than I think I got a little bit overwhelmed by the broadness of it. But the fact that all religions are true means that we're all going to get to the same place. Um, but through... So, so why then would someone like, um, what was her name, Noble? Yes. yes. Why, why would she decide to pick up this faith if all faiths oh, are true? Okay. Well, she was born in Dungannon. Mm -hmm. In those days, in 1867, there was no Northern or Southern Ireland. You yeah. Know. And, uh, but then she, uh, she had to move to England um, because her father, she was born a Methodist. Mm -hmm. And her father became a Methodist minister. He originally was a wool merchant. And her father, Samuel, uh, died but uh, when she was 10. But she became an educator. So by the age of 25, she had her own girls' school in Wimbledon, actually. And then she started uh, seeing that maybe the answers she was looking for weren't immediately in her own tradition. And so she looked at various things, Buddhism, for example. And she was uh, part of a very powerful group that she founded that included uh, Thomas Huxley and George Bernard Shaw and all the shakers and movers uh, that the were there. 
and um, uh, she, through a friend called Lady Margerson, Isabel Margerson, had invited the Swami Vivekananda uh, to give a talk at her house. And so Margaret Noble went along and was immediately struck by the man's sincerity. Mm-hmm. And he highlighted her and he told her that uh, the Indian women were not really at this moment capable of lifting themselves up, but we needed somebody. And he mentions all the qualities, somebody sincere to the background, uh, backbone, somebody with immense love, uh, somebody who's well-educated. But he mentions after all these qualities something very significant, and he says, above all, your Celtic blood. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that became a call for her to go to India and start a girls' school there. And not only girls' school, but we're a unique uh, monastic order in the sense that we're a hands-on order in India and other countries like that. It is all to do with philanthropic work. It's a mission. It's to do with education and um, uh, drought relief and flood relief and uh, social programs of all kinds there. In Western countries, we're more orientated toward the philosophy. Um, and uh, his idea was that uh, he originally, uh, Vivekananda I'm talking about, um, gave all these precepts about yoga and so on. The reason why we know yoga today was because of him in 1893 attending this Parliament of Religions in Chicago at the Columbian Exposition, celebrate Columbus's anniversary. Mm-hmm. And in Chicago, the Ferris wheel was was uh, laid out for the first time, and uh, alternate current, and all the all the cutting edge technology of the day. And among all the events was this unique event called the Parliament of Religions, where every religion in America was represented. Hinduism. He was there to represent Hinduism. And his opening words made the 7,000 attendees give a standing ovation for several moments. And all he said was, sisters and brothers of America, that's how powerful he was. And he was lionized in the whole press thereafter. And uh, so he had a high, high impact. He was offered a chair at Harvard University as well, but he declined it. I'm a monkey, can't do that. But his idea really was to bring these deep spiritual messages and concepts that are relevant to the whole of humanity to the West, where there was psychological poverty and still is, and in the East to bring the finance and the means to uplift the uneducated, the poor, the repressed. So to bring some balance between East and West. Yeah, yeah. They have enough spirituality in the West. They have materialism. An emphasis on one and not the other is not a good thing. You try and make a, bl- a blend and a good balance. And so Sister Nivedita was hugely involved in that whole movement and that whole revolutionary idea that caught the imagination of the Indian revolutionaries. And she was an inspiration to some of those, Aurobindo, for example, and Tagore and so on. And they all registered their, their debt to her, this Irish woman.
Swami Purnananda, thank you so much for coming in. I'm sure that we will have some follow-up questions from people, so we may have to have you back, but I'm really, really grateful for your time. Okay. I'm going to let you go and have your lunch and get back to your uh, celebrations. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone for listening. If you want to send questions in, so we have a follow-up uh, session with Swami Purnananda, you can email basically at headstuff.org. We are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara. We are produced by Alan Bennett and Julie Hassett. Yes, Julie is new on our team and she is playing a blinder. Thank you and join us again next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.